Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. I want to start with a question today. If you had a chance to sit down with Jesus and ask him to teach you anything, what would you ask for? Really think about that question. As you've learned about Jesus or, or read the Bible or come to church, wondered about how things work, what's important, what would you ask him to teach you? Maybe it would be how to be the best parent or husband or wife. Maybe how you should spend your money or how to make decisions. Maybe you'd ask him to teach you to read the Bible or how to pick the most fulfilling job. Now, the disciples, the 12 guys that followed around with Jesus for three years, they got to see everything. They saw his miracles. They heard his teaching. They got to witness him stand up to religious leaders, watch him heal people, raise people from the dead, saw him walk on water, saw how he lived his life. They had complete and total access to him. They could ask him anything, but the Bible only records them asking one thing. Now, I'm sure there were many other questions that they asked, but the Bible only records one instance of them asking Jesus to teach them something. And we see it in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but I have to confess, that would not have been what I would have asked Jesus to teach me. And it's not because I think I'm already good at praying or that I don't need to improve. But if I'm honest, in the chaotic world that we live in, moving from one thing to another, trying to keep up with everything going on, always wanting to occupy my mind and my time with something, I have to confess that in my heart of hearts, prayer is not always top of mind for me. Maybe you can relate. And if you can relate, then I have to conclude that we're missing something. These disciples that got to watch everything that Jesus did and everything Jesus said, the one that got to spend the most time with Jesus while he was on earth, who could have asked him anything, asked him to teach them to pray. They saw something in his prayer life that they wanted. They saw how he made prayer a priority. They saw the power in his life that they probably assumed through observation that came through prayer. They listened to the way that he talked about his father and the intimacy that he had. They heard him say things like, I only do what I see the father doing. They probably wondered, how do you see what the father is doing? They saw that this Jesus who had all of this power was utterly dependent on the father. And for these disciples, whose entire goal was to become like their teacher, their assumption was that if they were going to learn anything from this man, they needed to learn how to pray. Now we're going to be going through Romans 8, 26 through 7, 27 today. And Paul is going to talk about how the Holy Spirit within us, who we've been learning about these last few weeks, helps us in our weakness, specifically by praying through us, when we don't know how to pray. Now there's two assumptions behind this acknowledgement that Paul is making. First, he assumes that his readers are praying. 
He assumes that a significant part of our life is spending time in the presence of God the Father, communing with him, listening to him, enjoying him. And the second assumption he makes is that as we pray, we're going to run into times where we are so desperate in prayer that we are agonizing over what to pray for and we come to moments when we just don't know what to say or how to pray. And as we hit these moments, he's going to tell us that there's help from the Holy Spirit. But his assumption is that we're praying and agonizing in prayer. And, and maybe Paul can assume those things about you, but he can't always assume those things about me. In my experience, prayer can be difficult. It's often not the first thing that I turn to. And regrettably for me, prayer is sometimes the thing I turn to when all the other things that I try to do don't work. It's a confession and something that I have to repent of. So today we only have two verses in Romans and we're gonna get there, but I wanna spend some time talking first about what prayer is. Now, prayer is one of the most intimidating topics to preach on because I have not met anyone that thinks that they have arrived at the prayer life that they want for themselves. So allow me to pray for us as I talk about prayer. So Father, in the name of Jesus, would you come and allow us to hear from your word today? God, there are so many distractions around us. Whether we're in the car, in the gym, on the couch, there are sounds and noises and things that we need to do and things that we need to fix in our lives and plan and schedule. And I pray that just for this moment, you would allow us to hear your voice through your word. So God, if there's anything I've planned to say that's not of you, would you take it out of my mind? If there's anything you want to say that I've not thought of, would you come and speak? Because we want to hear your voice and connect with you as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, like I said, I know that it's hard for me to pray, and I'm assuming that I'm not alone. Paul Miller, who wrote an awesome book called A Praying Life, even said this, America is the hardest place in the world to learn how to pray. So why is it so hard for many of us to have a consistent, growing, passionate prayer life? There's a few reasons that come to mind. I think for many of us, we simply are just busy. We have so much going on in our lives that prayer gets crowded out. We, we assume that prayer is something good to do, and, and when I can make time for it, I'll try, but prayer isn't one of those things that we feel like we have to do in order for our world to keep turning. There's consequences if we miss appointments and are late to meetings or don't spend time with family or don't complete our work. And those things take priority and we conclude we're too busy to pray. For some of us, I wonder, do we really believe that prayer works? Does it really matter if I pray? Does it change anything? Does God really act in response to prayer? If we don't think that he will, then why would we pray? For others, maybe you've been disappointed in prayer. There are things that we really wanted and we prayed and prayed and don't feel like God came through in the way that we assumed that he would. Therefore, we conclude that either prayer doesn't work or God doesn't hear me or he just doesn't care. So we stop praying. 
For others, maybe we just get bored and distracted. It doesn't always feel enjoyable. Our mind runs to other things that we have to do or things that we want to do instead. We, we probably wouldn't admit that, but I know that it's sometimes true for me. Not theologically true, but, but practically true. But at the baseline, worldview level, I think for many followers of Jesus, especially those who grew up in America, prayer is not a high value or a high priority because it doesn't actually help us accomplish what we desire most. In other words, often Jesus is not our greatest treasure. Now the Bible is clear that two of the most important things that help us experience more of Jesus and what he has to offer us is suffering and prayer. And we saw last week how, how much we push against and avoid suffering. And one of the reasons is that suffering seems like a barrier to the things that I value most. The life that I want, the comfort I seek, the things I desire. But in reality, suffering is the path to the greatest treasure, knowing Jesus more. In the same way, I think for many of us, prayer doesn't seem like it, it gets us to the life that we want most, the comfort we seek, the things that we desire. And, and so, it's an afterthought or something tacked on. But if Jesus was our greatest treasure, our highest pursuit, what we desire most, then prayer would be something that we labor in, even when it isn't comfortable. Now, this reality is not something to be changed overnight. It doesn't have steps associated with it so that we can overcome. It is simply something that the scriptures call out in us and for us to repent of. It's something to recognize and search the scriptures for and beg God to help us overcome. And, and I think the first thing that we need to do is really examine ourselves to understand why praying is so difficult for us. So before we actually get to our text, there are two realities within prayer that I want to explore that I think for all these reasons that we've talked about have gotten drowned out in our, our modern American worldview. And, and the first is this. We have access to God in prayer. Now, this is the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And we've seen throughout our Roman series that the sin inside of us, the nature within us that rebels against God, actually separates us from God. Now, he, he is perfect and cannot live with sin, cannot interact with sin, cannot allow sin into his presence, and therefore has to punish sin. And so, we're separated from him. But Jesus, God in the flesh, lived the perfect life that God required of us. And he did it in our place. He died for us. Not just as one who lived a perfect life, but as one that bore all of our sin on his shoulders. Jesus paid the penalty for those who receive him through faith. And then he defeated death by rising from the grave so that not only are our sins paid for, but we join him in life and the power of sin is broken. And now we're in Christ with his clean record. And because of that, the separation between us and God is gone. When we give our lives to follow Jesus and say yes to him and we trust him and his 
death and resurrection through faith, we join him in these things. Not yet fully, but because of Jesus, we actually have access to God. And because of that, Paul is able to say to the church in Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 18, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is such a beautiful verse. It says, through Jesus, we have access to God by one spirit. Now, Kevin McKee, our lead pastor, says that theology is done in prepositions. And here's a great example of that. Through Jesus, meaning because of Jesus, through his death and resurrection, we have access to God. We get to approach God. And we do so by the spirit that is inside of us. The entirety of God, Father, Son, and Spirit are at work to allow us access to come to him through prayer. I mean, this should give us confidence to come to God. It allows us to recognize that on our own, we have nothing. But through Jesus, we have access to everything. It allows us to see that we don't have to clean ourselves up or say the right things or do the right rituals, have a certain amount of time without sitting or make sure we shower and put on the right clothes and go to the right place. Whenever, wherever, however, we can come with the access that God has given us. We see this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our help and help in our time of need. This picture is not of us tiptoeing into the throne room of God, sitting on his throne, being all intimidating, wondering why we're wasting his time, hoping we have something good to say and can back it up with good behavior. He's not sitting there asking, what do you want now? This is a picture of walking into your dad's room with Jesus as your big brother already in there saying, come on, man, come in, I've got you. And Jesus picking you up and placing you on the Father's knee. And the Father making direct eye contact with you with a smile on his face and saying, I'm so glad you came. I love you. That's what Jesus has provided access for. That should give us hope and confidence to simply come before him. So my question for us, myself included, is, do you use your access to God? We've been given access through faith in Jesus. Do we come? Do we come to God in prayer? It's a convicting question for me because the answer isn't always yes. So I've got to ask myself why that is. Even though these realities should give us confidence, they don't always do so. And even if we know these things, we still struggle to pray. And I think one of the reasons is because prayer is so often about me coming with an agenda in order to get something from God. But that's not the purpose of prayer. 
Instead, we grow in intimacy with God through prayer. God is not a vending machine. He's someone for us to have a relationship with. And prayer is the quality time part of that relationship. It's how we connect with our Father. Now, if you're married, how would it go if you had your scheduled 30-minute time with your spouse on the calendar every day in between all the other things that you were doing, and if you had the time, you stopped and gave your attention for that set amount of time. But at times, life would get busy, so you'd send a text to cancel for that day. You might feel bad about it, but there's just other things that are more important. How would that go for you? Now, your marriage wouldn't technically be over. It wouldn't change the status of the relationship, but it would put a barrier in your relationship. The relationship would suffer. God's not sitting there with a required amount of time for you to spend with him in order for him to bless you and keep loving you. But he is readily available and wanting us to come and know him. It's not something you have to do for God to keep loving you, but it's something available for us to pursue. To pursue Jesus as our greatest treasure, to, to get to know him more. And there is time to ask for things. And there is time to let him know what hurts and ask for help. But there's also time to laugh, to weep, to praise, to wonder, to sit in silence in his presence, to listen. Prayer is not a set amount of words. It's not a specific place or posture. It's not a certain attitude or emotion. It doesn't have to be theologically perfect. It doesn't have to be rehearsed or scripted. It doesn't need to be articulate or well thought out. It just has to be real. It just has to be you. Whatever you, you are able to bring in the moment. I stumbled across a poem by James Montgomery this week called, What is Prayer? The whole thing is beautiful, so Google it so you can read everything. But the first two stanzas say this, Prayer is the soul's sincere desire, uttered or unexpressed. The motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, falling of a tear, the upward glancing of an eye, when none but God is near. So another question for you to consider. Why do you pray when you pray? Do you pray to push your agenda forward? Do you pray to try to achieve the things that you treasure? Do you pray in order to to have God help you when you get to the end of your rope? Or do you pray to grow in intimacy with God as our true treasure? There is so much more to be said about prayer, but with that background, we approach our text today. Romans 8, 26 through 27, and it says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now throughout Romans 8, Paul has been laying out the benefits of having the Spirit of God within us through faith. The Spirit helps us fight sin, 
assures us that we're part of the family of God, gives us endurance and perseverance through suffering by assuring us that of our eternal glory with Jesus. And today, Paul adds that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, he says, in the same way, to tie it to the verses that we looked at last time, in the same way that the Spirit sustains us, gives us endurance, he also helps us in our weakness. We are weak. Romans 8 has showed us that our bodies and our minds are weak. They're touched by sin and we groan as we wait for that to be redeemed. We're also weak when it comes to sin. There are temptations all around us and we need the Spirit's help to fight because we can't on our own. And we're weak when it comes to engaging with God through prayer. We know that. We feel that. We've talked about it. But what Paul says here is that as we labor in prayer, when we get to a place where we don't know what to pray or how to pray or even that we should pray, we can have confidence because the Spirit is inside of us. We have help from God through the Holy Spirit as we pray. And what does it mean for the Spirit to help us? Well, well, first of all, the Spirit helps us by coming along with us. There's not a sense in the text that the Spirit takes over and does something while we just sit on the sideline. The language Paul uses is that the Spirit joins with us and bears the burden along with us. And Paul says that the Spirit helps us by interceding with wordless groans. Now, remember, Paul is writing to people that he's assuming are praying. It's not a picture of someone that isn't praying, but God is just praying through him. It's a picture of someone that has gotten to a point where they do not know what to do, what to say, or how to pray next. And we've all been there. There are limits to what we can express and understand. There's limits to reason, limits to thinking, limits to imagination, limits to discernment and wisdom. There are times when we just don't know what to do. And I think with those limits, there can be fear. Wondering, if I don't have the words for what I need and can't express it in a prayer, will God not act? I know that it hurts, but I can't exactly tell him where it hurts. Will he still help me? It's the place where you're desperate and you don't know what to do. And this is where our confidence in the Spirit can go deep. Paul says that the Spirit is praying for us in those moments. I think the Spirit is always praying for us and with us, but specifically what can give us confidence is when times are the hardest, when things are the most unclear, we can know that the Spirit is praying for us. And so what are these wordless groans? Well, this is not us just sitting there going, ah, and assuming that the Spirit takes that and turns it into coherent requests. And also, based on the context, this is not talking about what some call a prayer language or spiritual language that God understands, but we don't. This doesn't even have to be sounds at all. Other translations translate the Greek saying, groaning's too deep for words. This is the prayer that simply cries out from our heart of hearts, I need you. This is a prayer that sometimes only comes out in tears. This is the prayer that comes through sitting in silence when you feel completely defeated. 
This is sitting in God's presence, longing for his goodness and intervention and having no idea where it's going to come from. In those moments, we trust in the God of the universe who proved that he loves us by sending his son to die for us. And he takes the lead in bringing us into the throne room where we can find help. And because the Spirit is in us and we can trust his help, then we can know that we have sustained hope because of the Holy Spirit as we pray. When these moments are upon us, it might seem like all is lost and we should feel discouraged. But Paul is saying that it's actually the opposite. Whether in these dark moments and storms or in the joys of life, we don't actually have a clue what comes next. We don't know what we need. We don't know God's plan. We don't know God's will. We don't know what's best. But the one who is in us and praying for us is one who is outside of time. He's outside of history. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Peter tells us that to God, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And he is perfectly loving and perfectly good and perfectly in control. He is the one who is praying for us. And Paul tells us that that spirit actually prays for us according to God's will. Now here's a little prayer hack. If you want to have a guaranteed yes answer to your prayers, pray according to God's will. Now we know some of his will because he has revealed it to us in the Bible. We know that one day some from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will worship Jesus in heaven. So if you pray that God would save people in people groups that currently have no one worshiping Jesus, he will say yes. It might not happen right away. It might take years and years to happen, but that is a prayer that God will answer. Paul told us to, uh, in the book of Thess 1 Thessalonians that this is the will of God, your sanctification. That word means to be made holy, to be set apart, to look more like God. So if you ask God to sanctify you, he's going to say yes. It's a dangerous prayer because it's probably going to be painful as he strips things away from us that get in the way of his good in our lives, but he's going to say yes to it. The problem is we don't know the full will of God. We don't know his plan for our life. We don't know what is best for us. We feel like we do, but we don't. We don't know what he is going to do next. So does that mean we just don't pray? No, of course not, because the purpose of prayer is not to get stuff. It's to know God more. But we can have confidence that the one who perfectly does know the will of God, God himself living inside of us, will pray prayers that God will answer. So when we don't know what to pray because we've gotten to the end of our rope, the Spirit prays for us. When we pray for something that would actually be harmful to us and we don't realize it, the Spirit will pray according to God's will. When we don't even know that we should pray and instead try to make things happen in our own power, Spirit's our help. When we're mad at God because he didn't give us the thing that we asked for in prayer, no matter how painful that season was, we can trust that the Spirit is praying for us according to God's perfect will. And so what do we do? We pray. We pray when it's hard. We pray when we're distracted. We pray when we don't know what to say. 
We pray to know God better, not just to get what we want. We pray because Jesus has made a way for us to know God and be in his presence. We pray so that more and more throughout our life, Jesus grows to become our treasure and everything else fades away. And this is all possible only because of the work that Jesus has done. And if you don't know him and haven't given your life to follow him and seek him as your greatest treasure, he stands ready. He's already died the death that you deserved to make access to God with confidence, access to God to know and enjoy him in prayer. And that comes only through faith, receiving by faith what Jesus has done and already accomplished. So if you want to pray that prayer, that's a great place to start. It is only through receiving Jesus, believing that he died the death that you deserved, rose from the dead to give us new life, gives us his spirit so that we can walk in his way, and deposits his spirit in us to pray the prayers that we don't have the words to say. It only comes through faith. So if you want to start praying, that's the first step. And for everyone else who has trusted in Jesus, you have access to God. His blood has made a way for you to come confidently into his throne room. So come to him. Use the access that you have, not for your agenda, but so that you can grow in intimacy with him. So whichever group you are in, pray with me as I pray for you. So God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that because of what Jesus has done, we can know you. We can access your throne room. We can come before you in prayer. So God, in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, I pray that you would give us grace and motivation to come before you. And Lord, for those who are listening that have not decided to trust in Christ, I pray that today would be the day that they pray that first prayer. And if that's you watching or listening, there's nothing special or magical about the words that you say. All you need to do is utter in your heart or with your words, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe that because of what Jesus has done, he lived the life that I deserved, or that I needed to live but couldn't, I, and he died the death that I deserved. He rose from the dead to give me life. I receive that by faith. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, let us know in the comments. We would love to connect with you. But I encourage everyone who has joined us to use this next week to engage in the access that God has given us. In whatever words you can muster, whatever time you have, come before him. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.